Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 148 is Brendan Garone of the band Incendiary. I love this dude. Last month, they released an album called Change the Way You Think About Pain. They're about to play some West Coast shows this upcoming weekend. Friday, they'll be at Chain Reaction in Anaheim. And then Saturday, they're playing 1720 in Los Angeles. I wish I was home for that, but I am still on tour. But I, hey, I want to let you know that there's a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Brendan answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that for as little as $3 a month. You get access to all of the last bonus content. There's a Discord channel. There's all sorts of stuff going on. I'm doing updates from the road because I am currently still on tour. Can you believe it? If you've been listening these last couple of weeks, you know that I've been on tour. So I am, in fact, recording this ahead of schedule. But I want to let you know that this week we will be playing in Poland at the Opener Festival. Very excited to do that. We've been told about that festival for many, many years, many, 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 many years. Our driver slash tour manager slash everything guy in Europe is from Poland, and he's been telling us for years that this is the one to play. Uh, then on the 1st, we're going to be playing in Werchter, Belgium, at the Rock Werchter Festival. And then on the 3rd, we're going to be back in a club playing in Lyon, France, at the Nikasi Gerland. And that's going to be with Boneflower. Yes, Boneflower, the best band in the entire goddamn world. They're out of Madrid, Spain. Have you listened to Boneflower yet? Good God, they are good. Um, all right. Uh, that's it for me. I hope you enjoy this awesome conversation with the incredibly cool, the incredibly handsome. It's Brendan Garone. Brendan, it's so good to see you. How are you today? What's up, Jeremy? Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So you're like, are you, are you in the midst of press cycle stuff now with this record coming out? Like, are you, have you been doing a lot of press? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, like we've been, I've been doing as much as like I can. And then like everyone has kind of been doing things and I'm not the greatest for like a gear podcast and vice versa. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, yeah, sure. I think when applicable, we've been doing as much as humanly possible. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up when you say like, uh, you know, 
as much as you can, I feel like that is the story of your band, <laughs> right? Where it's like you, uh, I, I, I actually really love that you all do take a lot of time between records. You know, like we, you know, I'm not, no one's going to complain about a lot of music, like getting a lot of music from a band, but I feel like you're one of those bands that, um, people anticipate that, you know, and like when it, a record finally does get announced, um, there's that level of excitement about it because sometimes you don't know if it's ever going to mm -hmm. come, you know, and then it does. And it's like, almost like a, it's a nice surprise. Um, but with you saying, you know, uh, time is limited almost, it does make a lot of sense because your band is one that doesn't really get to tour a ton. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we, we've never really been like full time. We've kind of been just like doing as much as possible all the time for the last it's going on, I guess we're at like 16 years now or something. So right. kind of just been yeah. this like slow progression of doing it. And like the album thing isn't really because of the, I mean, time is a factor, but like we get, like, I like to say, like, our band is designed to play, like, live shows. Like, that's what we're, that's what we do. Not, I mean, every band yeah. does, but, like, sometimes, and you probably will feel this, like, the, the recording, we're like, oh, we should probably put out a record. But, like, we have all these shows coming up, and I don't want to spend them, like, we'll get into, you know, we, we should be really writing and stuff. It's like, yeah, but, like, we just got offered these shows. It's like, all right, let's do that instead. <laughs> Oh my God. That's yes, absolutely. We're, I mean, uh, to blow up my own spot, we're, we're supposed to be very far into writing a new record and we haven't had a single practice yet to start doing that. And now we have a Europe tour that we leave for in like three weeks. Yeah. That's like five weeks long. And it's like, well, that's going to take up the a lot again. of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and I don't know how, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, I, not to be like too like heady music guy, but there is an element of like, when you're uh, having to like adhere to like a very strict like album cycle, there is a component of like, we're going to have to kind of force this and make this happen. And like, that's, n I don't really feel like that's ever a good position to be in. Like there should be some element of it being natural where like you want to write and you have the material together, the, the under the gun, like, let's just bang something out. I don't feel like that always leads to like the best results. You know what I mean? 1000%. And uh, I mean, for us personally, too, a, a big factor, I mean, we're already now our record came out, our last one came out in 2020. And like, our whole thing is like, we wanted to feel like we have exhausted playing that record. And we obviously had to take time before we even start, start to really play it live. You know, it took like two years yep. for us to really get to start playing it live. So like, now we're at a point where it's like, okay, now we feel like we've experience what this feels like live we've learned from it what can we use from that experience to now go forward with this now with your band not touring like a whole ton um does that play any role i mean you're talking about how you love doing a lot you know playing live and how that's like a big factor in the band but like for you guys is it is it that experience of like really living out those songs from the last record before going in and start writing this new record yeah i think so i i think there probably is a benefit quote unquote to like having they they might have longer legs and can go longer because we're not out there playing 250 shows a year like shoving it down everybody's throat so it can be a little bit more of like an extension of the album and we also collectively everybody lost about two years with covid so like it's almost you could argue it's like more like four but it has been six years but 
yet recently before you know we were started to go into the studio and everything like it did start to have that feeling subconsciously of like i think it's time i think like when you when you start to think about like and especially for me like i'm always in my own head like almost feeling bad that you're playing the same songs like to the it's like oh you know yeah. I mean? you're like no, no i like we yeah. we have to get our act together like it's time you want it to constantly feel fresh and exciting particularly in in hardcore music yeah no absolutely i was curious who is there a certain designated member of your band that has to be the one to be like hey we got to start writing guys yeah i i mean oddly's brian's pretty good at like you know he for this this record coming out like he really kind of like had a vision and him and dan our drummer like they were definitely the pace car of like making it happen and putting in a lot of time between them two specifically of like getting in a room and hashing it out. And I think Brian did a lot of work on his own too, but I think we all kind of felt it like, no, it's time. Let's get serious and like make this happen and get on us a practice cycle, not practicing for shows, but practicing for like writing songs. When it comes to writing lyrics for you, are you someone that waits until there is some songs written musically before you start writing lyrics or are you someone that kind of goes in prepared knowing what you want to tackle once you start writing a record i well i definitely don't write like in the studio that I, like i was joking like that's my nightmare that is my idea same um i have friends same. that are like yeah i once we get to the studio i'll kind of see what i come up with i'm like the ocd and me just <laughs> so a I, thousand percent i, I think yeah. I generally try to have some like the like thematic elements in mind, but the way that I normally write is to the song. And so like, I'll be, you know, I'll get a practice recording, a scratch recording and kind of like use that as my North star to write to. Um, and that's always the technique that I've had just because I don't like, I don't do a lot of free form writing in my spare time. Like I have, I have, I have like a background in writing, but like more like academically. And I feel like I have a relative knack for it, but it's not something that I really enjoy. I really enjoy reading, but I don't particularly enjoy writing a lot. So it's kind of like all business for me, writing to the songs, basically whatever, whatever comes across my plate from the band. Like I, I try to, help as much as possible where I feel like if I have something that, I, that may actually need to have the song tweaked, like I'll be vocal about that. But generally speaking, I'm writing to the material. Are you present for those writing sessions? Like, are you somewhat like, again, putting my, well, I'm putting myself in your shoes. So we're like with us when we're writing, whatever my, my band similar to yours is like, they will change the song based around what the lyrics ended up being. But, um, you know, being present for like, like you, you sort of, especially being in a band, as long as you like our bands have been together just about you're like, I think one year on us, mm -hmm. but it's like, you've been doing it for so long that you sort of know when they're writing a song to be like, you know, let's only do that part twice. And then let's, you know, let's only do that part four times because you kind of can already sense yes. what the feeling is going to be. Is that how it is with you? Yeah. I think, I think I'm a good impartial third party because I can like walk into something that the rest of the band has maybe been hashing out for like a really long time and kind of be being like, I don't have a horse in this race. I just think 
part A is better than option B or whatever. So I think I'd right. like to think I'm helpful with that. And I, tr- I try to, I mean, I don't play the guitar, which is one of the like <laughs> frustrations <laughs> of being in a band. And it's my own fault. I just like never got around to learning it. And so yeah. um, the joke with us is that like, I, I will come up with some things here and there, but for whatever reason, about half of the time, um, Rob, our other guitar player is v- amazingly good at like transcribing my stupid mouth riffs to actual music. <laughs> yep. And it always comes out like a new metal riff, like not like nine <laughs> times out of 10, it'll just be like, I'm like, I have the best idea for a riff guys. And I'll like play it and he, it's going to winds up being like, bow, bow, wow, bow, bow, wow. And everyone's <laughs> like, wow, that sucks. And I'm like, yep. That was a terrible idea. Like did that you just, has happened you, several times. <laughs> did you just subconsciously do the Sum 41 riff considering they just announced they're breaking up today? I, I did uh, not know that, but that was very similar to the lead riff. No, that's, that's just serendipity, man. That's just the, the, the Sum 41 gods looking down upon us. <laughs> <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Uh, all right. So, yo, you're, are you a born and raised Long Island person? Yes, sir. I'm from Smithtown, New York. Okay. Okay. Um, here's a, here's an annoying, uh, Long Island question that I like to ask people from there. Um, do you have any care when people say on Long Island or in Long Island? What is, where do you stand on this? I mean, it's definitely on Long Island for sure. Right. And I'm conditioned to say that, but I'm not, uh, so beholden to my island that I would (laughs) get mad about something like that. No. Um, if anything, it means you haven't spent a lot of time there, which is probably a good thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's fair that's fair it's the amount of times that i've been corrected and i and like i think at this point i've got it down you know what i'm saying but it's just like it's one of those things that uh doesn't just come off natural to to me and i think a lot of people that aren't from there you know what i'm saying i'm, I'm actually kind um, of impressed you knew that hey you know i'm a i'm a well-traveled idiot i guess at this point <laughs> um yo so uh you know the first question i usually ask musicians is when you were growing up what was the first thing that you remember connecting with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house by your folks or or whoever you were raised with but like uh yeah something that you found on your own that kind of gave you a sense of identity yeah i mean let me think so i did have influence from my my parents and from, I have two older sisters. And so they were pretty influential on me in terms of like my earlier music. But I like that question of like on my own specifically. I mean, so I've told this story before, but one of them that was like holy myself is, and this is near and geo and proximity to you and and probably near to your heart is, is strife because I had, I had gotten into hardcore music from local bands. And then I discovered national acts. I mean, like I was into the, the classic punk and like rock stuff that everybody else was, but hardcore specifically. And I had, um, I had bought in the mall, a strife shirt because it had like an awesome live shot on it, but I had never, where in the, where in the I mall? Bought it at Hot Topic, man. Shirt. I bought it. It had a stripe. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you know, like the, the, like victory was had a minute, right. I mean, like they were getting pretty big. So this was probably like 1998. So obviously I I was, I had some things before that, but uh, I had never heard strife. And so even in my middle school age, I was like, this is a poser move. 
I need to listen to this band. And when we, we, I was in tower records with visiting my sister with my mom. And I was like, I have to get a strife album. I can't keep wearing this shirt. I've never even heard them. And then I distinctly remember putting on like listening to the album for the first time. And the funny thing is it wasn't one of their LPs. I bought the only thing that was available was I didn't buy. It wasn't in this defiance or one truth. I got truth through defiance the like collection the of comp. rarities. The yeah. Comp. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. song, it like the first song is untitled where Rick is just like screaming his balls off. Like really. And so I remember distinctly sitting down being like, this is like wild and it having like a profound effect on like almost being scared. <laughs> I just played that song on one of the radio episodes that I did because like I did an episode devoted to uh, like deep cut soundtrack songs because that was on the God Money soundtrack, right. which was that like weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Rick, the Rick, Rick Rodney was, yeah. was the star of. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that you know, like when you take a, it's been years since I'd listened to it, and taking a step back and revisiting it, you know, obviously they had ties to Deftones. Chino sang on in this Defiance yes. famously, but like that song sounds like them trying to do deftones in a way that i never thought about before with like the very like distorted talky vocal yeah but the chorus is fucking hard the chorus like, is hard the drum and snare tone is so hard and like yeah it, the albums these guys he's going so like physically hard on the track too but then it has like yes. the ethereal chino vocals like on the on uh-huh. like the um the verses and stuff yeah it's a thousand percent. <laughs> so that was, wow. So that was a big one. So you were in, I, so I you were, in. did, how soon after that did you, uh, stumble across in this defiance? Did you get that, uh, in the coming months after you picked up that record? Yeah, I did. I, I would, um, I would find out things here and there. And then we had this record store called none of the above records. That was like a town over for me. Actually, it's from where Brian is from center H. I remember buying the Indecision Shy Halud split seven inch um, or split CD. And I was like, right. this looks cool. And I remember hearing that and being like, wow, this is like pretty intense too. Um, and that was like all just kind of trying to like navigate an interesting space basically. Yeah. So when you were when you, like when you got the Strife record and stuff like that, like you mentioned, like were you mentioned local bands, were you into had you discovered like local hardcore bands yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I got I was into general like punk fast music and I like and a lot of that was just through being in, you know, I'm sure you're like roughly my age, like our general age bracket yeah. of like skateboards and nineties and all of that stuff. And then, but for hardcore specifically, yeah, I got a couple of my friends that I rode BMX with started to go to local shows. And there was this band from my, my town, they were older than me called subterfuge, which is Rick from this is hell's first band. Um, and that was like, they were my Metallica basically. And so my first show was, in the mall actually seeing them play at a store in the mall um and then there Whoa. was like a a bit um like a house that one of the guys I actually don't even know why I should ask them had access to this like random house by my, by mine and they would play shows in the basement it was called the cesspool so I used to ride my bike there um so I got into that wow. kind of first and then learned about bigger hardcore bands which I feel like is like the opposite of how most people do it yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and Long Island has such a rich, rich history of so many great and influential bands. I feel like if you were to open up my 
DM conversation with Brian from from your band, it's like pretty much primarily <laughs> VOD and yeah. glass jaw talk, yep. probably, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and it's funny because my introduction to hardcore was almost specifically through Vision of Disorder because I was a metal kid. So I was buying anything off of Roadrunner Records. Yep. So I got the Green Drop record, not knowing that it's like a hardcore band. Like to me, it was just aggressive. Yep. So whatever, you know, and then like I learned over time that it's like, oh, this is different. And then I, you know, down I went. Um but like they were like my first hardcore band, you know, or like the first hardcore show too. Like it was really? like them, yeah, them, Scarhead, Candiria, and Buried Alive at the Troubadour oh here God. in LA. It's like that a is hard so show. different from my first hardcore show. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, and it's so, it's just funny considering the soft ass music that I make these days. <laughs> um, but but anyway, uh, so then what was the uh? What was the first concert you went to? Because you mentioned that, but like, was there like a big concert that you went to at all? Like any like bigger bands your folks or your sisters brought you to? Dude, I had to do this thing for work the other day. And we, it was like, they started with an icebreaker and everyone does their first concert. I have no idea what my first concert was. I the, And no the way. reason why is because like, so when I was growing up, like my parents were, really into music, but they were super into Irish music. So we would like go to pubs in New York and like Mm. listen to Irish bands and traditional Irish music and stuff. And it was cool. I I actually really liked it. Um, And then like, I didn't, they didn't really go to like Madison Square Garden or anything like that. I, I actually think my real, my like first like concert at a big venue was the Get Up Kids. And I was like in like a junior in high school, but I had gone to shows before that, but it was all in warehouses and stuff like that. Like, right. I don't think I really went, I definitely saw you two at giant stadium at some point, but I think that was later on. I, I seriously think it might've been the get up kids. Like we took a train to see them. I want to say maybe at Irving and I was probably like 16 or something. And it was like a wow. crazy experience. It was like over a hundred degrees. It was in the summer and it was like terrifying going into the city because I had never done it on my own. So I distinctly oh, remember shit. that. Yeah. Uh, what tour was that? Do you remember who else played or anything about it? Was it like one of the farewell tours where they still like they were no that the farewell tour was much later. 2001 so. or 2000. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so who else was I wonder if it was maybe even like one of those vagrant tours or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. And you know what's funny? Like nowadays with like setlist.fm and stuff, like I probably could, we could figure this out. I never even thought to do that. Yeah, sure. I know, I'm not um, even sure. I, but maybe, was I in, was I a senior in high school maybe? So maybe it was 2002? How did you end up getting into the Get Up Kids? Like, did you have, did you have that thing where you were into, uh, like you had found hardcore and then you were also really into uh like the emo stuff that was happening at the time we're talking as you're wearing a promise ring t-shirt <laughs> i didn't even realize that <laughs> yes uh that's like pretty much exact so it's actually kind of interesting so i kind of like went from like the punkorama like pennywise and the offspring which were like that was my lane and then my sister got me a comp it's called nowcore have you ever heard of that i don't think i have it's amazing now-core. i'm surprised you haven't heard it I, I've posted about it before and a lot of people don't know it, but it's a, it was a okay. compilation 
and it had like every great emo band on it. And I that happened like during me also getting into hardcore. So I always kind of loved two genres kind of like simultaneously. It had it had hum, I think. I think it had promising. I know it had modest mouse. It had I'm, I just I just pulled it up. This thing is a fucking banger. Yeah, man. It's all oh bangers. My God. I think Na- is Napsack yeah, got- on it? We got Promise Ring, Hum, Seaweed, Modest Mouse, yes. Braid, At the Drive-In, Mineral, uh, Sam I Am, Burning Airlines, Unwound, yes. Dismemberment Plan, Drive Like Jehu, Jesus, Texas is the Reason, Knapsack, and Jawbox. And the songs that are on here from these bands are also just like the perfect gateway songs. I mean, it has Jawbox Savory, yep. which is, you know, could be arguably their best song, yep. depending on who you want to talk to. I think so. Um, we got uh, a Jack with One Eye from... Uh, yeah the reason reason Um, is on it that's right yeah it's got uh hum stars which was obviously their big single but like yeah that's a that is a fucking incredible incredible gateway uh gateway comp yep like incredible yeah it was Um, it got me into all of that stuff i i like i was obsessed with that comp and then i was trying to find like the bands that i really liked um like promise ring like texas and stuff and that, that was a huge that was a huge comp for me I'm sorry, you might have said it. So how did you find this comp? Like, how my did sister gave it to light? me. It was a gift. Oh, your sister gave it Yeah, my sister you. Kathleen was like, she was into a lot of cool stuff. Like, she she got, like, when I was younger, she would list, like, she showed me Weezer for the first time. Um, she was into, like, Letters to Cleo, Ween. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Like, all kinds of stuff like that. And she got it for me as a gift. I think she got, I want to say she got it for me for, like, Christmas or something. And I had no idea what it was. Wow. It was a CD and... It was just like, she just knew. Yeah. 100%. She just knew you connect with it. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's really, really sweet. Um, you mentioned at the start of this that uh, you wished you played guitar. So I'm actually curious. Did you ever try to play any instruments? Did you ever have any sort of phase trying to play instruments? Yeah. I played, I played the drums like um, most of my life, actually. Um, I started playing okay. the drums probably in fifth grade. Um, I did like the school band okay. world and then I eventually got a drum set at home and I played through to, you know, my early twenties. And then I was, I was actually just talking about this, like the combination of like incendiary living in New York city and playing drums left-handed basically just destroyed my drumming career because like I never had access to it. So yeah, I, I, I kind of sucks that I fell off. Sure. I played, that was, that was everything. And that's, that's actually like the drums were how I got into a lot of punk music because a big thing for me was like the, the punk beat, like capital, <laughs> like the punk beat, because like I was yeah. so, yeah. um, I was so blown away. Like if you, if you were like a kid and I was like trying to learn how to play the drums, I distinctly remember hearing the beginning of smash by the offspring nitro and it's like the drum roll it's like and then just thinking like how is it possible that someone can play the drums this fast same with byron from pennywise and his like famous fit like tom fills and so like that that really like drove me into punk music from the drums actually oh that's awesome uh did it take you a while to to get good at the at the punk beat yes very very long time yeah it did not come easy to me it, i it's so long man yeah looking for an extraordinary coffee look no further 
than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. So was the first band that you were in, were you playing drums, not singing? Yeah, I, I played for all of my earlier bands before Incendiary, I was playing drums. Um, and my first band was The Unthinkables. The un- <sighs> Love it. I, I love a very classic, obvious uh, high school punk band name. Yep. Uh, because it sounds like you were very influenced by a lot of West Coast punk when you mentioned The Offspring and Pennywise and things like that. Was it in that vein? I mean, honestly, man, it was all over the road. Like it was, <laughs> it was kind of like a, it was a hybrid of like everything the people were into the members. And at, at that, like, you know how it is in high school where it's like the qualifications for a band member are more like can play the instrument. Yes or no. Okay. Yes. yes then you're in the band. Like we don't, we can all be into this guy could be into gospel or, or ska or whatever. So it was like, it was punk. We were aligned on punk. I think me and the singer were probably trying to do more of um, like an aggressive type of fast hardcore. And then the guitar player was super into like the Descendants. And so we would like cover like clean sheets, but like also force of change by Strife. So it was like, <laughs> it was kind of like all over the road. And I would usually be like, trying to add in double kicks and it would be like, Hey man, I don't think the song calls for that. Like, so it was that kind of a vibe. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, that's come up a few times on the show and I do think it's like completely relatable and very adorable at the same time too, because you'll like see photos of like people's first bands or something like that. And you could tell that it's like potentially, yeah, the kid who likes ska playing drums, but then the Hesher on guitar, because you're just like, well, that's who was playing guitar in my high school, the guy yeah. who liked Megadeth. And then, yep. you know, that's what we got. But sometimes it's, I mean, oftentimes it's probably a sonic disaster, but every now and again, you get something kind of awesome where it's like, you do hear the amalgamation of all those influences. Um, what was the first show you ever played? The first show I ever played was with the unthinkables we played a couple i think the first one was playing at like a classic stereotypical like the person's parents are away so they're going to throw a huge party and we played yeah. in the basement honestly it was it, i was like it was one of the highlights of my life at that point like it was pretty badass and so it oh, was that's like awesome. complete anarchy a ton of people in the basement um we were so bad but just <laughs> felt like we were on top of the world at that point. So it, it was a pretty good intro for a first show. That's awesome. For someone who is playing drums, um, was it, were you ever nervous playing drums live in front of people just because you're obviously the backbone? You're the one who's having to keep time. Like, 
uh, you also have to keep up your energy and not get start to get a little tired and tempo gets a little wacky. Like, was that something that you ever struggled with or were you pretty confident going into it? No, I, I was always nervous playing the drums. I was so much more nervous playing drums than singing. Like I, being the drums, like I, I, being a drummer, I think unless you're really good, I always find it analogous to being a ref in a sport where like all you can do is fuck up. Like no one's like, mm. wow, isn't those refs were what an incredible officiating game. <laughs> like it's like all you really can do is mess up. And so if you're like a meat and potatoes regular drummer, which at 16 I or 17, I was fine. Like it's just let's just keep let's just keep the show on the road here and not mess up. And so, you know, every drummer knows the feeling of the look over the shoulder guitar player, where it's like the the classic you messed up look back like that. Um, yeah. so you, you try to minimize those as much as possible. But no, I did. I was, I was super nervous playing live. Damn. So how many bands did you end up doing, uh, before you moved to singing? Um, I was in, I was in a couple, I mean, none of them were super long lived, but I did, I was in the unthinkables and then I did a bunch of different like bands, like either at college or like back home. Um, and always tried to like put something together in terms of like, varying levels of seriousness. And then like with one of the bands, uh, we did like a little bit of touring, not much like in the summers. And then incendiary was like after, uh, after college, when I moved back to long Island, I started it. Okay. So, uh, you know, I always ask like about first recording experiences. So was the unthinkable is the first band you ever recorded with our original, um, lineup. <laughs> we did not record music. Okay. But we did get back together. So, so yeah, quite a quite a long history. We did get back yeah. together at some point and did record four songs. I was in another band called Up the Fury that actually like played and toured after me. And I want to say that might have been my first recording experience. Like either either the Unthinkables or Up the Fury. That was probably like 2003, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with all the different bands that you were playing drums in, were they all sonically like punk or hardcore or is there anything that people would not expect that you maybe play drums in? <sighs> yes, there was, uh, there was, yeah, I did. Let's see. I was in, I played for, so I basically got kicked out of every band I was ever in because, uh, -oh. uh because of college. So oh, okay. I would basically, I would start bands with my friends and then go away to college and they'd be like, this dude's moved to New Hampshire, like he's done. Right. And then I would yep. start bands in New Hampshire and get kicked out of those because I'd be like, I don't have the money to live here over the summer. So I have to go home because I don't, I'm broke. Um, yeah. And then I would get kicked out of those bands with, I mean, with good reason. So yeah, I was in, um, I did kind of like a pop punk band, I guess you could say kind of that I just felt like I was like truly like answering like a classified ad. I did that in, in New Hampshire. Uh, I also played for like more of like a Southern Iron Monkey beatdown style band called Roid Rage in college, which was <laughs> pretty fun. Yeah, uh, that was, yeah. There are some, some interesting pictures just surfaced on Return to the Pit of uh, some of our gigs. So uh, you, can, you can point your listeners to Rev Aaron and returntothepit.com, one of the Amazing. hallmarks of Northeast hardcore and metal. Uh, to capture yeah. those. And then just little projects with my friends, basically trying to sound like 
you know, whatever Texas is the reason or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, all, so did you record drums on many releases? Uh, because you mentioned the, the, the unthinkables got back together and you recorded, but like with some of those other projects, uh, were they just so short lived you didn't record or did some of them end up getting recordings? We had, let me think. Mostly we, I was on a lot of demos <laughs> that was, sure. was kind of it. So yeah, I, I was, we did, I did the up the fury demo. I was in a band called since you, that was cool. That was like kind of punk with my friend, Jared, who also sang for up the fury. We did the first, it was like an EP demo. Uh, Roid rage, I think had some self recorded material. And then the band that I was in called Ambry from New Hampshire, they went on to do things and tour and put out a real record. But I, we did I like gonna, a single, I think. I was going to ask if any of these people you played with went on to be in any bands that like maybe people know today. Uh, I mean, it's Up the Fury, a- like once they got rid of me, things started to click a little bit and they actually toured kind of a lot. Um, okay. They, they put out a record, uh, like a, a, a full length. I forget who they put it out on. I should know this. Um, it's good. Um, and then Roid Rage, no, we we had an early demise. And then I don't, I, the Ambry guys, I didn't really know. I have no idea what they did, probably. Sure. You know, so they, they, did, they definitely toured for a while. Did any of these things end up ever end up on vinyl or was the first time you were ever on vinyl for Incendiary? First time was Incendiary. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. That was awesome. Um, how was your experience recording drums? Was that something that was also as stressful as playing live or were you more comfortable in that situation? It was horrible. Horrible. <laughs> I didn't, my, the guy who played in is one of my dear friends named Drew who played in that band with me and then wound up like staying in the band for a little bit and like playing drums with them. He's like a really, really talented musician. And I didn't know that drummers played to a click track. And so I sit down, I it, like, I'm in this kid's basement, we hit play and I just hear the like, I'm like, yo, what, what's this? And he's like, yeah, it's a click track. And I was like, uh, I'm on, I'm on Brendan Garone time here. I'm not, <laughs> I'm yeah. not on click track time. And like, he was like, you have to record to a click track. And I was like, I, I can't, I'm, I, I suck. I can't do it. And it like, yeah. it, I didn't, I was like, holy cow, this, if this is going to be what this is, like I'm in big trouble. I have to get a lot better. So I struggled through it with the click track. And then my other uh, recording experiences, thankfully, I did not have to record to a click. Um, and so that I had a little bit more liberties with my timing, as they say. <laughs> yeah, sure. And then uh, you mentioned one of the bands toured. Well, so was that the, 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 is it Up the Fury? Is that what yeah, you were Up the Fury. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the first band that you toured with? Yeah, we did kind of like a D it's actually kind of funny. We did a DIY tour, like an East coast tour and we wound up joining multiple shows on the, <laughs> on the Ramallah suffocate faster shattered realm tour. Wow. Um, yeah. Which was, so we did not sound like those bands. <laughs> Um, in case you might've guessed what up the fury would up the fury sounded like probably what you think it sounds like fast, bad, uh, hard at that time, bad, really fast, super fast punk beat, like, you know, kind of the style of the time. Um, was it like kind of melodic? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Yep. Um, and that was, 
really interesting. So <laughs> I, I definitely yeah. have some, some fun stories from, from those, those shows. Sure. Uh, any worth uh, retelling here that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, it's probably the statute of limitations I'm sure has gone up. So yeah. after one of the shows in South Carolina, I, I got, I mean, this was like 20 years ago. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I think something happened. We didn't get paid obviously. And we're not about to ask those bands to pay us. Um, totally. So they like backed the van in and were like shooting flares and fireworks like into the venue, like after, after the show, I think, and maybe in like a form of protest. And we were just like, all right, <laughs> like time to go. Like we, it was definitely an eye opening experience. Uh, actually white trash Rob was incredibly cool to us. Um, yeah. and they, I think they were headlining and he was super, super nice. Uh, like went out of his way to talk to us and stuff. And that wasn't necessarily the case uh, with like other bands, but you know, the shows were pretty intense. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is like at the t- like the era of Long Island that I grew up in and kind of, it's always been like this for Long Island. Like it was really more melodic. It wasn't, yeah. we didn't really have like a hard scene. Like I'm, I'm coming in after neglect, which had its own thing. And so I, it was a pretty, like, I wasn't really like aware of shows like that until I went to start going shows in Boston and then kind of seeing those, I was, it was definitely like not, we did not fit in whatsoever and people were not feeling the tunes <laughs> at all. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. When I think about, I mean, when I think about Long Island, I think about who we already talked about, like, you know, VOD, Glass Shop, but also like, yeah, Silent Majority, fucking the movie mm-hmm. life, like. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of that stuff. Uh, yeah. So that that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, so then, what was your motivation for wanting to switch to vocals? I'm sure you've been asked that before, but like, what uh, what was it for you that that gave you the spark to want to do that? I don't know. I think like part of it was honestly, and this is kind of a boring answer, but like part of it was practical. Like, I had was living in an apartment. I had no money. I was going to graduate school, and. Uh, I was like, I, I don't have anywhere to put these things. Like, I don't know what to do with them. I don't, I don't, I can't practice really. And so at the time, I guess I, I, this was like a source of real frustration for me because a lot of my, fr- I was still very connected and like focused on the music scene at home. Like, that's what I wanted to do. That's where I wanted to be. And so when I moved back to New York, I was like, I'm with all my friends again. I'm like back going to shows like this. is This was exactly what I wanted to be doing. And so I think like it was easier for me, I felt, to start a band because I had friends who played and were like they had a space and everything. And I was like, I can just kind of like drive out to Long Island. And so I would drive every week at night, like after work, after school, like an hour each way and, and go to practice. And I, it, it seemed easier to me and like a lighter lift and I can make it happen. And I knew like, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and what I wanted the band to be like. And I felt like I could kind of make it happen. If that makes sense. Mm. What were the people that you started the band with? Uh, how many originals are still in the band at this point? Is it quite, so, a, is it- t- technically none, just me. Right. So we had like a thing. So when we originally started, it was, it was me and this dude, Dan Tur, who, you know, is still a good friend. And then uh, actually I'm still friends with everybody, but it was kind of like more of like a little project thing. And Hold then on, that name is hella familiar. Did he Dan end up moving to the West Coast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The West Coast? Yeah, he used to live Yo. in LA. 
Yo, are you ready for this? Yeah. He was my downstairs neighbor at yes. one point. Wait, so do you know Ooh. Johnny Moore? I think he lived with John Moore. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Johnny, uh, Dan, and this guy, Matt Moody, all yeah. lived together in North Hollywood. And they literally, like, the funniest, you're going to love this. So the day I move into this apartment complex, I have, like, a crate full of records in my hand. And I'm getting in the elevator. And these two dudes come getting in, get in the elevator at the same time. And one, they're both wearing like hardcore shirts. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also wearing, and I have like a crate full of records. We all get in and it's dead silent as we're going up to our floor. And I just looked at them and I just said, we should probably know each other. <laughs> and, <laughs> Good for you and, for breaking the ice, man. And we started talking and then sure enough. And then, cause Dan worked at Revelation. Yes, he did. So, so I was working at a record shop at the time in LA. So and I had an account. I was ordering, obviously, distro for Rev. So he ended up being this guy who saved us money because I would place an order. Then he would he would bring it home with him so we wouldn't have oh to ship God. it. And I would just grab it from him and take it into the shop the next day. Holy fuck, what a small world. Yeah. And Dude. and John John Moore, Johnny, played yeah. bass in Subterfuge, which was like the that, that band. Yeah. Oh, my crazy, God. Crazy, right? At the time, wait, did he play in This Is Hell at some point? Yes. Yeah, okay. So at the time, I think he was playing in This Is Hell or something like that. I, yeah. That's that's what I remember. But um, wow, what a fucking small world. That's so funny. So is Dan living back in, in New York now? Yeah, Dan's been in New York for a while. He's married and he has kids and he still goes to shows. He's the man. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I think he lives in the Bronx maybe. Um, but Word. yeah, he's the best. And we... He was involved and then it was some other friends that I had kind of grew up with. But again, like I was very focused on making this a thing. Like, and they yeah. were kind of like, yeah, they were down. And then they all, three of them were like, we're, we're all moving to Boston together. I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> and kind of ironic yeah. given where I came from. So sure. me and Dan kind of kept on, but this was again, like you're talking four months, three months. Um, and then we had like, we you know, I found Dan and, and Rob and then eventually got Brian to to stick around. And so the the the, okay. the the four of us are all have all been in the band since 2008 and we started the band in 2007. So it's like very okay. similar. Yeah. So that for because I saw there's an incendiary demo uh, that yeah. came out in like 2007. So is that not with those dudes who ended up joining a little bit later? So that's like yep. with, with Dan and, and the original drummer, you said? Yeah, original drummer and original guitar players. Dan played bass. Okay. I was curious when the band started, like how prepared you all were. I'm asking that again. I'm putting, you know, I often put myself in, in other people's shoes where my mindset was with, because I had played in a bunch of bands. And then when Touche started, I went into it like very prepared where I was like, we're not going to play shows until we like until we've recorded. Like I want to have the whole thing yeah. set. You know, and because I saw that the band started that year and you already had a demo out, were you sort of in that same boat? Like, had you recorded before you started playing shows? I think we did. Yeah, I think we did. And like, I, I was so obsessed with like being a part of the current like scene and playing shows like that. Like, that's why it's kind of ironic. Like I'm still doing this because my ultimate goal with Incendiary was like, I want to play, like be like higher on the bill at like local shows on Long Island. Like that was the ultimate test. And I wanted to just kind of like be in the mix because again, like I just had major FOMO. 
that's really what it was. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I, I felt like I missed out a lot and I was, I was just like, let's make sure that like the band that we're doing here, like can get on shows and like have an opportunity to play and stuff. And so we did the, we did the demo, if anything, probably like pretty hastily just to like get something out there. Totally. Totally. And then, uh, the first seven inch, uh, came out one year later. Um, and then I was curious who actually, like what late, what's the story with eternal hope records was that? Cause it looks like that seven inch was maybe the first release off that label. Yeah, they, okay. So we recorded that with Phil Latterman in his basement. Uh, who okay. Phil has actually recorded a ton of Phil from iron cheek. He, he re, he's actually recorded a ton of long Island bands. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know it was someone from, from iron cheek. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and gosh, I, I think they cold Chris is his name from eternal hope. I think he like cold emailed us. Um, I think we had, he might've heard us from like MySpace or something. Okay. And then, um, he so was not like, a local label, like not like, no, a no, he's from like okay. DC, but I don't think we were the first release. I think he did other oh. things beforehand. Um, Interesting. I actually just spoke to him for the first time in like a very long time. Um, but he, he cold emailed us. And like, at that point it was like, you're willing to like press vinyl, like this, to pay for a seven inch? like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is totally. great. Yeah. Uh, what was that situation? How did that feel for you getting that box that first time? Like, and just opening up and, and seeing it. Oh, doing the artwork and stuff. Like it was, it was incredible. It was so cool. And I was, I mean, I was so proud of us and we, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, the, I wasn't like thrilled with the demo. I don't think anyone really is. So like when it came time to like record and like have a little bit more time and polish on the tracks, like we were really happy with how it came out and we had yeah. like a seven inch release show, I think. And it felt like very real. Uh, Cause it's like, I you mean, it's physically tangible too. That's like the most exciting part of it. Right. So it was, and you got it was to, a great you got feeling. to be high up on the bill. You got to, yeah. you had a seven yeah. inch release show. I know we should have just broke up after that. I would have saved myself a lot of stress. <laughs> uh, and also correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like your logo on that seven inch is still the logo that you have today. Right. It's like very similar. similar. The, the original one on the demo and, and the seven inch is very similar. It's a little bit different now that the logo that we have now is more from like crusade, like our first LP but it's right. it's pretty similar, yeah. Yeah, I just I know I, that caught my attention. Where I was like, wow, it's cool to see a band actually like hold on to something like that yeah, for so yeah. long or something at least similar. Um, and then talk to me about Crusade because there was an interesting thing that I caught and I was curious about where I saw it's, it has like maybe it's like a co-produce. Uh, you did it with uh, Joe Sincata, if I'm saying yeah. that correctly. Yeah. Um, who who's Long Island guy, right? That's uh, his studio, Full Force. Is that correct? Yes, right. Yeah. Okay. Obituaries front of house guy. Oh, shit. I was going to say, yeah. I looked at, I mean, looking at his discography, it's like so much fucking death metal. Which he is, is awesome. Sick. He is an awesome guy. Yeah. Uh, had he done many hardcore bands when you guys had gone to him? You know, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I just, I remember the suffocation bass player being there, hanging out, and they were, I think, recording their self titled maybe okay. um, like at the same time. Yeah. And we were like, wow, this is sick. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was going to say, cause there's something kind of, uh, there could be a beauty and an excitement in like someone taking 
uh, taking a job that maybe is, is sonically not normally what they're used to, used to recording. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because there is sort of that gray area on like how they're approaching it versus like how you want it to be approached. You know, I was just curious if like, uh, if you noticed anything different for him, maybe recording you guys versus, versus like a death metal band. No, I don't. Th- I mean, like the thing is, is for a lot of our first experiences, because it was already the farthest that I had ever been along with a band. I mean, we were flying blind, like totally Everything blind. Is fresh. We, had, yeah. we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, Brian was helpful because he, like everyone had been in bands and were doing bands, but like Brian had also like roadied for This Is Hell for a really long time. And so I think he kind of like got it a little bit more, but I, I had no idea what was going on, what to do. And we were just doing everything ourselves in terms of like every single step, kind of just figuring it out. So I was so thrilled to be at a real studio. That was like a checkbox for me. I want to also say, I love that you guys did a few split seven inches. I feel like it's a lost art form at this point. You know, people still do it now and again, but like it's a lot more split 12 inches because those are easier to sell. You know, seven inches have kind of gone by the wayside, unfortunately, but I love that you guys did split seven inches. I think it's fucking sick. Um, and then did you guys record the split with suburban scum with Will Killingsworth? Yes. Or is that, that I love like what the fuck? Like, I mean, I, for, uh, something in like, the water up there in Amherst. I mean, it's, uh, you know, for people listening, maybe you're, maybe you've seen that name before. He's done so many bands, demos and things like that. And he's done a lot of hardcore stuff, but I mean, like he was a member of the Screamo band Orchid. He's been in like tons of very credible, sick punk and Screamo related stuff. So I always get amped when I see the like, like heavier hardcore bands go to him. So like, what was the connection there? Had you worked with them before? Was it because you were a fan of his bands or stuff you'd recorded? Uh, I'm trying to remember. No, it wasn't based on like Orchid or anything. Like that was never really my lane. I sure. I I don't know how we got hooked up with him. Um. Well, first of all, he was willing to do it <laughs> for like a, for a yeah. cheap price, which was like the number one thing. Um. Yeah. And he was also in driving distance. Um. I honestly don't remember how we got hooked up with him. Um, but we, he had like a kind of a cool spot. It was very like Spartan and he had a lot of like analog type things. And honestly, I think those recordings are like some of our best sounding recordings to this day. It's not great. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I feel like that, you know, not, I do not mean, I I don't mean this at, at all as a slight to will in the sense of, uh, like he wouldn't be used to recording something like that or know, know how, but I, I, it almost feels like in the same vein as my question about recording with a death metal guy. It's like recording with a guy who's done so much like, you know, mysterious guy, punk and screamo and to all of a sudden do a band that is like super heavy, like yours, like a heavy hardcore band. There's something kind of beautiful in that, like, you know, doing something maybe they're not as used to doing and how that turns out. You know what I'm saying? I absolutely. Um, I actually found. I, I. I. It'd be interesting to talk to the other guys. We probably found that more natural and a better experience. Like the 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 pro studio thing. I don't think any of us were like super comfortable with. And when we recorded the Suburban Scum Split, we we were recording it live. We were just in a mm-hmm. room, and then I did vocals in another room, and like it, it was all business. 
banging it out, drove up there, like doing it in two days. And it, that was kind of like our lane. It felt good to yeah. do it like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and you guys did the Zabalba split. You did that with Will Yip. Did you guys record with yeah, Will Yip? Yeah, we that? only record with people named Will. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we did do it with <laughs> Will Yip. Yeah, that was wow, another that's like fucking funny that you did. Holy shit. We have Will Putney, Will Yip, Will yeah. Killingsworth. Holy fuck. Okay, so that's probably been an inside joke for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, we're like, which Will? Uh, that was another like, he is awesome. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to interact with him, but one time he did the he recorded the um Touche Self Defense Family collab seven ish okay. where it was two drummers at the same time and five guitar players and two bass players and me and Pat. It was this and he was down to just get stupid and weird. So he's he's got a he's just down for anything. He's the sickest dude. So how did you I mean that was probably still pretty early in Will uh doing stuff um on his own because i because what year was that that was probably like 2014 15 or something 13 maybe no i think it maybe would be more like 20 yeah 2012 or 2013 maybe because i know that that one blacklisted the no one deserves to be here blacklisted record i know was like kind of his first like stepping out uh on his own kind of thing so i just i I, when i noticed that was that early it, it felt like maybe still early in him doing stuff uh, on his own. So, um, how did you end up hooking up with Will Yip? I don't remember how he got on his radar, but I, I want to say my friend, so my friend Gary played plays in crime and stereo. And I, I grew up with Gary for years. And at that time, like crime and stereo was like, they were cranking, like kind of on top of the world. I totally. feel like he made me maybe turned us on to him. Um, and Will, the thing about Will is like, he makes every band feel like they're the sickest band in the world. Like he is just so positive and has this like energy and recording at that studio is pretty, it's, it's pretty like intense and you're, you're there and you're like seeing all the gold records. And it's like, this is the piano that someone very famous wrote some very famous song on. And you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go scream into this mic and lose my voice. Like, <laughs> so like there's that vibe where like a very like Wayne's world, like we're not worthy we're by not worthy. everything, yeah. but he, he is the complete opposite of that. He's just like, this is awesome. Like I love working on this. I had no idea what great of a drummer he was. I didn't know mm. that. And he was kind of like slow playing that. And he was like, yeah, I like played drums for like Lauren Hill before and stuff. And we were like, what? Yeah. Um, and then you're like, oh, wait, you're like a professional drummer. Like, so he was just, I, I loved him. I, we actually still try to keep in touch a little bit. Um, I know that like Rob, our guitar player did some kind of like WWE project and like Will like, was involved and it was like really good to see him again and stuff. And now he's obviously, his resume is incredible and stuff, but, um, we, we loved it. It was an awesome experience. Yeah. He's, he's one of a kind for sure. I was like, you know, just to piggyback off the the uh the drum question i feel like with you being a drummer in your soul and having that be your you know your starting point i imagine that's like a really helpful tool when you guys are writing because you know you talk about doing the you know the mouth guitar parts uh that might turn into new metal but um i imagine with songwriting like there's times where if you're trying to think of an you're trying to like talk out an idea you could probably if you are down do you ever sit behind the drums and kind of like show you what you're thinking about yeah i we used to do that all the time i mean 
I don't know how I, I feel like Dan, I was probably more an annoyance at sometimes to Dan, but like Dan <laughs> yeah. has become like an incredible drummer. But yeah, I guess I ultimately like, it kind of starts with the drums for me. Like that's kind of how I think of everything. And so yeah. uh, it, it's been helpful, I think, to the writing process. And it's like an enjoyment of my, like I, I always intend to start playing again. I actually, um, I got one of those like electric kits like oh, a couple yeah. months ago. And so yeah. this is like my great return back to the, back to the craft. <laughs> and Love so it. it's been, uh, it's been cool. Like, well, it's been kind of frustrating being bad at something that you used to be okay at. Um, but it feels good to be playing again. And so my intention is like, I have to do some kind of a project or something, uh, right. Drums again. I feel it. I feel it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, getting back on the, getting back on the bike, getting back yeah. on the horse, whatever you want to, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, was that, I forget, was the Zabalba split your first time working with closed casket? I think it was right. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, I imagine that that just opened up the door to be like, okay, this person has, you know, our best intentions and we could probably go forward putting out records with them. Cause that's where you've been ever since. Uh, yeah. 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 We- it's been, it's been over 10 years now working with Justin. I, we, I, so he was on close casket was on my radar because I remember seeing their like actual releases, like their phys, the physical releases and being like, these all look incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the early CCA stuff. And I had, I think there was probably some like mutual noticing of one another, but I, I know we had shot him a note and was just like fan of the label. Like, I think we were like, kind of like check out incendiary basically. And then we started talking. Um, and he, he just kind of became like an incredible person to work with. And it's been, it's been fun first and foremost, because I feel like we've, his, his growth as a label is kind of like a little bit analogous to our growth as a band. And so it's been this like evolving partnership that's been fun. And now like I get a huge kick out of it, if I'm honest, because the way that people speak about closed casket now as this like machine and entity, it's like, I, I'm so like, I don't know what the word is, I guess, like proud or just like happy to be a part of that story. And it, it, I get such a kick out of seeing people speak about it in the way and, and seeing Justin get, frankly, the credit that he's due for all of his hard work and curation and tastemaking of the label. So it's been it's been really cool to kind of ride that wave with him. I think that's really well said. And, and you know, my my interactions with Justin over the years, uh, he seems like a great person to have in your corner because it sounds like he learns every he his knowledge of how to run a label uh, has only grown more and more as the years have gone on and how he, and how the label has grown to the point where he seems like a great person to sort of almost bounce ideas off of and get an outside perspective of, and uh, his knowledge of, of, of just sort of how this industry works feels incredibly like incredibly valuable. And does he kind of play like manager role with you guys a little bit? I can't remember if if that if you're one of the bands because I know he does that with Vane. Yeah, no, he he doesn't officially manage us. I would like to say trusted advisor and consigliere, totally. and yeah. definitely the person. I think one of the things with us is like we we do a lot of things 
somewhat insular, I feel like, maybe more so. We don't have a lot of other folks involved in like the day-to-day of things. And he, he he's always been a good, kind of exactly what you said, like sounding board and totally. sanity check. Like, hey, does this suck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> something like that. And yeah. then he, he also like, Justin gets us and gets the band. And it's, there's a level of comfort when he like, he knows what we are and what we want to be and equally is important what we do not want to be. And right. he respects that. And so he's always bringing, I feel like that lens to the conversation and to the things that we have. So it's become this, like I said, this like evolving partnership that's been, it's been really great to be, to be a part of it. I mean, and that makes so much sense too, because I, I, you know, I was familiar with the name Closed Casket. I was familiar with some of the releases they had put out, but my first time really, really giving the label like a hard, like attention was on the release of Cost of Living. Like that was my first time, like I think pre-ordering a record from his store kind of a thing, you know? Um, And I was curious, like for you guys, did you, did you internally feel the, like, the the fan base grow with that release or did it sort of were you guys just kind of keeping your head down and and uh and just working playing shows and and it didn't did it like i guess what i'm asking is like did you notice the growth uh yeah a thousand percent it it was like it, it, i had i had no idea what to expect from from cost of living or whatever i and I, I actually don't know if other people feel so like in the dark about things and i know like i'll give you an example everyone has the friend that's like sending like re- recording space songs and it's like dude just show me when it's done like you know show what me i mean like yeah, yeah 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 we were always kind of the exact opposite of that and i don't like like i don't feel like we had any kind of like ongoing check of it and progress. So it was like, this is done. I think this is good. Uh, I was not expecting, um, people to, to dig it, frankly, as much as everyone did and kind of turn into this thing. And so it, it really opened a lot of doors for us. I actually, I like crusade the, the, I'm really proud of the lyrics. I got super sick during the recording process. And like vocally, I was not like, where I want it to be. It's like, it's actually hard for me to listen. I think the music is good. Um, but cost of living was more of like, all right, I think this is like kind of where we're trying to be now. I think this is kind of more of our lane. And so, I mean, we put so much time and effort into it that to have it feel noticeably different and start to get some asks rather than us just being like, randomly emailing promoters and just kind of like f- hacking stuff together things became like a little bit more like hey would you like to do this and we were like yeah sounds great and that that's kind of like how things change for us that that exact switch you know i don't know if this is something that you guys would take offense to i know that we don't take really offense to it when people say it's us but like i think that i think for a lot of people that was your guys first record in 100% like for us, our record parting the sea is like a lot of people's first, you know, because though we had seven inches and an LP before that, uh, but with like different band members and stuff like that, like parting the sea was the first record with who we are now. You know what I'm saying? And I think for a lot of people, the cost of living is that for them. So it sounds like you agree with that because it, it sounds like yes. like your totally. band 
has figured out the sound and that's what it is going forward, right? Yeah, I think it was a variety of factors. It's it's funny thing, but that that is a hundred percent true. I think first of all, Crusade was a limited ultra DIY release, like of the label. There's not a ton in production. The guy, the Eternal Hope folded like two months after the album came out or something. So it's not like it was like really pushed in, in, on the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. I think. I think, and and, it, and and remember, there's no Spotify. So it's like, how the hell do I hear this thing? You know what I mean? Totally. And so I think there was uh, cost of living also was the mark where we 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 played like even more uh, because prior to that, I don't think what people understand is like, there was not the interest from the hardcore scene to have us play shows. So we were just doing everything ourselves. And then o- on, only until cost of living came out, we're like, oh, okay. Now we have some opportunities. However, we had been a band for six years before that. So like, right. that's it's why funny, everything right? kind of started later a little bit. And it was, it did seem like the first album. And especially, I think probably selfishly for us, that that didn't bother us. That didn't make us mad, right? Because we're like, okay, well, I like this album better. So if you think <laughs> totally, it's our first yeah. album, sounds Thumbs great. Up. Thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so funny. I, I'll never forget the first time checking it out too. It was probably like, 10 minutes before I I went to the store and pre-ordered it or ordered it on vinyl or whatever where like <laughs> I remember putting on the putting it on and hearing the intro track and thinking to myself I don't know this is going to be for me I'm not 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 really like a mosh guy or whatever you know like <laughs> like, like, like I like some of that stuff but like you know the intro is going but then as soon as the actual first track starts and it's like dun, 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 and then your vocals <laughs> came in and then like hearing that background guitar which is like hella snap cat snap casey I yeah. was just like with my entire vibe changed within the span of like 10 seconds where I went from like, I don't know to like, I'm ordering this record. This is exactly what I want. Like, yeah. That's awesome, man. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I was hooked like immediately, which, uh, and then all the guys in my band were like, yo, this is undeniably fucking so good. (laughs) Um, and then I feel like from then till today, you guys have been, you know, we've joked about throughout, throughout our, uh, our, you know, our, our friendship here that, uh, you know, you guys are the band that we've bugged the most uh, over the years about about touring together, and it's going to continue to happen. But we've we've respected the the you guys can't do a ton, but uh, yeah, we've we've been down since uh, since then. So you know, dude, I, I love, you, no, you you've been so supportive for such a long time. I know. I mean, it always it kills me every time I get the text. I want to shrivel <laughs> up and die inside. But yeah, I mean that. I don't know. It's um. Our, our our little weird way of doing things has been uh, dude, it's, interesting. It's, to- <laughs> it's totally fine. Uh, so um, let's talk about a, a thousand miles there because that was your first time going to Will Putney. Was that just based on like, yo, this guy's churning out records that like is just hitting left and right. Like you should go to him. Had you met him before? Was that like a walking into the studio the first day you're for that record? Was that your first time meeting him? Like what, uh, no. what was the prep going into that? We, we knew him. We knew him from shows and things like that and like the banner and like suburban scum and stuff and just like play, we, we, we played Jersey so many times. So we n- knew what his deal was. And like he was, I think originally we recorded with this guy, Jeremy, who I think was tangentially related somehow to like machine shop and like the, the studio in general. Um, and so he was definitely on our radar I forget someone else like recorded right before him. 
And I remember checking out the song, I forget what album it was and being like, wow, this is like, this sounds really awesome. And the same thing with him was he knew what we were about. He kind of knew what we were going for. And he also, and, and I feel like this means so much, like he, he liked the band and he was like vocal. He was like, oh, you guys are all like, we knew he liked us, which is like from a comfort perspective, there's nothing better than going in there when you're kind of like in a vulnerable place recording and being like, all right, he ultimately is a fan of the band. So we don't have to worry about like things. Oh, this sucks, blah, 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 blah. So I, I felt very like, well, yeah, felt very supported. Um, and it was kind of like a no brainer for us. There is no better feeling for, for a band than like when you're hearing playback and you see the person recording it, like bobbing their head. You're just like, Oh, okay. We're in good hands. Like they care, you know, like they're down. I don't know. I guess other people, it's probably not like this, maybe with like a bigger ego, but it's so crazy how the recording dynamic turns into this like, like pleasing thing where like you get in there and then all of a sudden you're like, gee, I, I hope he likes it. Like (laughs) with the producer, like you're like constantly looking for like positive reinforcement and feedback. Like I'm sure that's probably not the case if you're like, I don't know, in Stone Temple Pilots or something like, but like, or like some massive band in the nineties where you're like, oh, if he doesn't like it, he's an idiot. Right. But like, right, right, right. Yeah. I feel like for bands of our ilk, you like want to please that external person. And it's like, Hey, is this good? Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 How, uh, because you've now gone to him a couple times, um, for you when it comes to recording vocals, uh, what kind of dynamic do the two of you have? Like, is it, are you doing a bunch of takes and doing comps? Are you do, are you running through a lot of the song at once? Like what's comfortable for you? Yeah, he's been, I feel like I come, I come very prepped, maybe more so than other, but like incendiary in general, like we come to the studio, we're pretty much ready to rock the, the, this album now, um, we did like pre-production probably like kind of for the first time and it helped a tremendous amount. Um, and I think we, it really let us like nail down the songs a little bit more in general. Will is very lyric driven too. So generally speaking, I would like send the lyrics to the song ahead of time. We'd have the scratch. We'd have like the demos going and then we would actually like sit together and like walk through the songs and I would kind of show him my beats and, and kind of like where, I want everything to land. And he would, he would listen to everything. I would, um, I would do like scratch takes of everything and he would have like no, like total poker face. And then when we would go to actually record, he would have like per like notes, like what's this, what's this, I would do this differently. And we did the same thing for this last record. And it, it, we kind of like got into this awesome cadence. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. There's something so special about going back to someone that you already had a great experience with where like, you're like, okay, and now I, I don't have to be as nervous because I know what is going to happen. I know what to expect, but now there's a deeper comfort because we've already successfully done a record together. So we can only do better this time. You know, yeah. it's like, it's, it's like such familiar ground that it's, it's so comforting. Um, well, dude, I mean, the, the fucking the new record is awesome. I'm sure you're so excited for this thing to, to be out. This will air by the time it's out for sure. But, uh, you know, congratulations. And yeah, it's great. So let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? So I thought about this. Full disclosure. Yeah. 
we we are at a, at a period in the band's career when we would play New York a lot. And I guess depending on how, who you would ask, like this is a good thing or, or whatever, but like our shows got really violent in like the early 2000, like 2014 era incendiary. And we had a couple shows in Brooklyn that were just like chaos, like real chaos. And like, I, I kind of was like, I wish we had more of like a, a sing-along kind of thing. And like, we would have that for some things, but I, it didn't, to be honest with you, like it didn't really seem sustainable to me because like, you know, we would have fights and everything. And like, I mean, you know us, right? Like that that's not the band's vibe. I don't write about that way. I, I'm an aggressive person. I love aggressive music and I love heavy hardcore, but we're not that band. And we're very um, clear to show, like to, to not act like we're that band. And there's nothing wrong with being that band, by the way. Most of the hardcore, as I get older, most of the hardcore that I listen to is that kind of stuff, actually. I just... My I my hardcore IQ just gets lower and lower the older I get. So my yeah my um my Spotify stuff is kind of embarrassing. I'm like you know what I mean. So um yeah. but anyway, so we we were playing Rainfest. We I was a little bit nervous, um, and I distinctly remember walking out on stage, and there was like a ton of people directly up front to the stage, like chest high. Um, and everyone was singing along. It was our first time in Seattle. And I was like, this is what I was going for. This is exactly what I wanted. I don't know how we got to do, to be that, this band instead of the other band. And I know that a lot of the other bands want to be this band. Right. But like, this is what I'm going for because it was just, um, like I said, it didn't seem sustainable and it wasn't really what I was looking to get out of the music personally, because I just don't think it was in my nature. And so when we started to have more of like a, a sing-along-y, for lack of a better way, like presence, everything felt like it clicked for me and it like instantaneously reignited my interest for continuing to do the band. And we've been kind of blessed ever since. It's an incredible answer. I love that. And uh, I can tell you why it's because you're you write hooks, your band literally write you have hooks in like all of your songs, you know, lyrically, there's hooks, whereas, you know, I think a lot of the bands that were, you know, we think of when what you're discussing, the bands that play to just a gigantic horseshoe in a room where yeah. people just swing on each other. Um, the hooks they're focusing on are the breakdowns, your hooks are lyrics and breakdowns. So you get that perfect combination uh, where people, it's hard to not listen to your band and want to sing along, which is like the greatest combination. You know, it's like you get yeah. the fun thing that you can swing on people, but if you don't want to swing <laughs> on people, you could also stage dive and sing along. So uh, yeah, I, it's, I, I, it's, it's great. Thanks, man. No, I, I appreciate the compliment. It's we, uh, it's kept, it's kept things interesting and going when it, when it's like that. Um, and it makes me want to keep doing it, you know? For sure. That's awesome. Dude, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. This is awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it, dude. Yes. 
And that is our show. Thank you so much to Brendan for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Brendan answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And hey, if this was your first time listening, please subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this. It would mean oh so much. Getting a positive rating and review, it would mean the world. All right. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. Have a good rest of your week. Bye-bye.